man, I I was praying, and then I was like, whoa, because I thought my papers were flying away because this thing flapped. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> they're right here. So on live stream, if you're wondering why I did that, why I did that during prayer, I thought, there goes my message. Lord, get us through it, though. It is getting a little breezy, but not too bad so far. Hopefully it doesn't get too bad. Uh, they told me, don't get up. Don't worry if this thing flies away. They'll grab it. Uh, hey, real soon, guys, we're going to be meeting, you know. Hopefully uh, real soon gets, you know, uh, inside. Uh, so um, right now the weather is really beautiful. So uh, Lord is good. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're in a little series called Making the Choice to Rejoice. And hopefully you were edified through last week's message. Again, I want to praise God. Uh, when I was out and wondering if I was going to live through COVID and the heart condition with the COVID in the hospital, uh, <laughs> uh, it was great because I got to check out some of the messages and uh, even after that in my house before I came up here. And praise God, the elders did a great job. Uh, Brother Chad did a great job uh, teaching you guys all. Praise God for you guys. And praise God for everybody in the fellowship who steps up, those who serve and uh, do all kinds of things that you don't see behind the scenes. I'm so grateful for them. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice, not sometimes, but he says rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's the key. You can't just say, I'm going to be happy. You have to be in the Lord. You have to rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, again, I say rejoice, a double command. He says, let your gentleness be known to all people. And then the verse after that, and he says, the Lord is near. Then he goes on to say, don't be anxious about everything, but everything with prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And what will he do? The peace of God that surpasses understanding or comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. He doesn't stop there. He wants you to not just give everything to him, but now he wants you to obey him and think on those things, he says, which are true, which are honorable, which are right, right? Those things that are pure. goes on to say those things uh, that are lovely and commendable, and if there be any excellence, any other uh, thing of praise, you know, pray, anything that's praiseworthy, think on these things, amen? So there's a recipe right there for your victory this year, amen? And I want to really... I, I just, the Lord burned a lot of this on my heart through my trial. And, and I really believe he used that trial to get us also as a fellowship and just as the people of God, you know. Uh, he uses all kinds of people. He uses donkeys even in the past, or at least one donkey, right? Maybe two right here, right? He uses all kinds of uh, uh, people. And he wants to, uh, he uses, he imprints the scripture on our heart through the things. The scripture says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And the psalmist goes on to say that I was glad, I'm glad that I was afflicted because I learned your word. And I told Lisa, I've always been a student of the word by the grace of God since I've been saved over 30 years. But I said, wow, it's even brought a new level, you know. And, you know, yeah, I wish the Lord sometimes could just wave his hand and you go through transformation without a trial. <laughs> it doesn't work that way typically, right? I mean, he can wave his hand and do all kinds of things. But even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. So we grow through the things we go through. That's Hebrews 7, by the way. Uh... So it's interesting because I've been locked into, you know, rejoice in the Lord because it was during that trial uh, that I, it, it was, there was some painful things in that trial. It's just the warfare, you know, you feel for the people that, you know, we were praying for people that couldn't have loved ones visit them, you know, uh, and you really hurt for them, you know, prior to going through it. Then you're in it and you're like, wow, this is what it's like. You know, you can't see anyone and you're on the verge of death. You know, at least in my situation, I was told that I wouldn't survive by my car, one of my cardiologists. So I'm crying out to the Lord, you know, saying, I, Lord, you gave Hezekiah 15 more years. 
you know i'll take 30 or whatever you'll give me you know but uh i don't want to be miserly either but uh please let me out it but your will be done and i was crying out to him trying to understand his will i'm 57 years old still a really young guy compared to those at over 100 you know uh, <laughs> uh lord please you know and there's certain scriptures he brought to my mind and there's certain things that happened to me even on a god speaking to my heart uh one time early on, which I shared with you, which I, was more of an impression. I wasn't positive it was the Lord, but that you will survive. And then later in a very dramatic way, which I haven't shared yet, and I'll share. It's really, really powerful. It really gets me choked up every time I think about it. But uh, that was definitely, I felt from him uh, through a dream in the midst of my, uh, when I was in the hospital. And uh, I want to share that with you guys. Another, during one of these messages, it was so profound. And he fixated, I, I was fixated on so many passages Many that I just loved but hadn't yet memorized or memorized portions of them. And one of them was Philippians 4, 4 through 9 there. I memorized that in the hospital. And because it was hard to read, so I thought, Lord, I'm just going to meditate on your word day and night. And he brought me to a point of just inexpressible joy during my trial, you know. And, uh, and he, you know, it's been a crazy last year, right? But Steve was talking about in his message, uh, one of his messages a couple weeks back, and I reiterated it again that, hey, just because the calendar changes doesn't mean all of a sudden everything's going to be fine, right? In fact, we went into 2021 and Capitol building gets stormed. Five people get killed, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff's going on. The Biden administration will be rolling a little bit and they're pro killing babies in the womb. You know, they want to keep that alive with 60 million plus six times, 10 times greater than the amount of Jews that were killed in the Holocaust, folks. You can't wink at that, act like it's no big deal. Our land is polluted by blood. And the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, right? But a wicked nation uh, it says approach, you know? And the Bible says all the people and all the nations that forget God will be turned to hell, you know? And our nation needs to repent. We need to get right with God. We need to repent as a people. We need to repent as a nation. It's serious stuff in God's eyes. The blood of those babies and all kinds of millions of innocent babies is crying out for judgment. And we need repentance in this nation it's a serious thing we could cry for unity and peace and say oh yeah let's just all come together and everything's going to be fine not when you're killing mass babies not when you're attacking biblical morals and biblical marriage you know and things of that nature this is serious stuff folks and in the midst of it we're called to rejoice still rejoice in rejoice always that means in 2020 and 2021 that means in 2022 that means during COVID, during the lockdown. I mentioned to you that when Paul wrote this epistle, Philippians, he used the term joy and rejoice 16 times. And he's in prison in Rome. And he, I told you, is in a lockdown. Worse than the COVID lockdown as far as not being able to go places. Locked between two guards, right? Roman guards. Yet he's, ex he's exhibiting inexpressible joy. Because he sees the big picture. Because he's in the presence of the Lord. Because he knows that the Lord is in control. Amen? And the Lord's in control. You have to understand that. You have to rejoice in the fact that he loves you. And that he's in control ultimately. Amen? He's still on the throne. He never says oops. Right? His, his plan is being affected. And he allowed a, a, a portion. He allowed people libertarian free will to make choices. And there's no doubt we have freedom. That's what sin is about. That's why God can blame us for our sin. Amen. Because we could have done otherwise. Read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He gives us a way of escape that we may be able to endure the temptation of the trial. Amen. Because he's faithful. So we, can have, we have a choice. There's an option. We can choose Jesus uh, through our trials. And we can also choose to rejoice. Rejoice isn't waiting for filling to come upon you. 
It's not just saying I'm going to smile and be happy. No, it's rejoicing in Christ and His salvation. And I want to focus on rejoicing in the Lord. And we're going to be on these few verses for a little bit because guess what? We're going to get it. We're going to get it. You have one message that hopefully was encouraging on, on this that we just did. But I'm telling you what. I read about a pastor some time ago who did a message about loving your neighbor. You know, as yourself. And he preached the entire message. The next week he preached the same message all over again with the same illustrations and the same jokes. The next week he did the same thing with the same illustrations, same whatever jokes he may have used, and he preached it again. And a lady came up and said, you preached this message, the same exact message three times in a row. What's going on here? He goes, as soon as you guys start obeying it, I'll go to another message. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that hit me. I'm like, wow, you know. And I don't even know if that story is true. Could it be anecdotal? Because I've read about a pastor that gave the quote and then said it over again and looked at the congregation, said it over again until the congregation started reaching out to each other. So I don't know which one is true, if they're both true or what, but it's a good illustration of the fact that we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. Amen? So I want to encourage you to love one another and to rejoice in the Lord always. As Paul says, and again, I say rejoice. You know, my wife showed me a, uh, or was telling me about this uh, Babylon Bee deal where like a little cartoon where there's a wave huge wave the surfer looks like he's going to just crash and die you know and he's at the top of this or in this wave and it's 2021 then it shows a way bigger wave behind it 2021 that was 2020 then it was 2021 she's like oh crazy you know and she showed me some meme you know she has a lady jumping out of a window trying to for her very life and she's jumping out a window as a fireman below you know, I don't know if you were in that picture, Mike, but they have this, uh, this life net, are they called? That's a life net to catch her. And she hits it, but it's like a trampoline. She jumps out of this building, goes off the trampoline into another window up in another building, which is on fire. She said, that's 2021, that building. 2020, 2021. Like, it's going to get worse out of, the, out of the frying pan into the fire. So we don't know what's going to happen in 2021. We know what's going to happen, ultimately, when we read the book of Revelation and the, the prophecies, and we know the Lord's in control. You know, I'm going to hold this. It's not sticking in my Bible because I'm going to put it back and forth and lose some pages. And uh, <laughs> I got up at 5.30 this morning and my uh, message, I just, uh, <laughs> I had so many directions I wanted to go and a lot of changes were put on my heart. So I just could barely, at least I got to get there, you know, <laughs> on time. And it was just crazy. And then my printer, I didn't have time again to fix it where it's printed on both sides again. And it's one of those things, it's not, oh, you just push, you know, one side, no doesn't work you know it's a bunch of hoops you got to go through uh and so forth and i got to learn the hoops because i forgot them after i got covid so i didn't print anything for a little while <laughs> but it'll be easy i'll fix it it's just got to take 10 more minutes i didn't have 10 minutes but you guys philippians 4 4 i mean it's just amazing when you look at this passage and we do have another wave that's coming and that's a wave of justice because you talk about waves of time hard times then waves of persecution Man, in the book of Amos, it talks about, you know, the prophet says, let righteousness or judgment roll down like a river, like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing uh, ever stream. God's righteousness is coming. The, Jesus, the scriptures say in what, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on all those that know not God and those that do, do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day he comes to be admired in his saints, you know. So he's coming back. His judgment's coming. The Bible says in, I believe it's Acts 17.30, that the Lord's appointed a time where he'll be judging the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we look forward to his second coming just as he came the first time and fulfilled those prophecies he'll come again and fulfill the prophecies regarding his second coming and that's why we need to gather together uh, even when things are tough the bible says not to forsake to gather yourselves together but get together all the more as you see the day of the lord approaching the day of christ approaching so even if things get worse new strains come out we need to find ways to get together still or encourage one another paul couldn't fellowship in person because he was in prison chained between two guards but what did he do he wrote a letter more than one he wrote ephesians from that prison he wrote to the Colossi church colossians in that prison church of ephesus the philippians we can still encourage one another no matter what happens amen but thankfully right now we could get together amen we just need to be somewhat cautious and cautious enough anyway you know practice our di social distancing and so forth and uh, i encourage you guys to remember that doesn't matter how bad you are locked down you can still rejoice Joni Erickson Tata who uh, dove in the water as a non-believer came up paralyzed you know quadriplegic I believe she's quadriplegic right and she's just I mean she paints with her mouth still with a paintbrush in her mouth she sings she's a Christian radio show she helps all kinds of people with you know uh, wheelchairs and so forth and uh, a ministry that gets wheelchairs to I think thousands of families it's amazing but she can do hardly anything with her arms she can just move a little bit I mean her body and so forth she moves her head still she says when she gets down she calls her friend in the hospital I think his name was George if I remember right he can't move anything he can't even move his head so I guess someone puts the phone by him and she talks to him and he encourages her in the Lord you know about how much you know that he has the joy of the Lord in Jesus you know and I've read people that have serious accidents are bound to wheelchairs you know, this whole, you know, assisted suicide is ridiculous. They have a, the same degree of the general population of happiness. Not that general population has great happiness. They need Jesus, right? But can you imagine in Jesus how much more joy you would still have? It should be a reminder that we need him, amen? So it's important that we keep, stay, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I, the key uh, to rejoicing is rejoicing in Christ. Rejoicing in the Lord, you know? And I'll tell you what... Uh, I already forgot to turn my first page, I think. Yeah, I did. But we're, we're, we're okay now. I see Amos there, which I already mentioned. That's Amos 5.24. Uh, we have to keep our eyes not on the waves of this world, but on Jesus. Amen. And I love Matthew 14.30-33. And that's when Peter was asked by Jesus to come out in the boat. They're tripping out because Jesus is walking in the water, right? And they're afraid they're going to be capsized. And Jesus said they'd get to the other side. They just had to put faith in his words and they were freaking out in another situation. This time he's, that's when he was on the boat. This time he's walking to them and they're tripping out. Peter, you know, Jesus says to Peter to come walk. And, but when he saw the wind was boisterous when he was walking on the water, Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then it says, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him because they realized he's God the Son. He's the Son of God. And brothers and sisters, it's important for you to know that, that we've got to keep your eyes off the waves. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? In the ultimate wave, he'll bring in judgment against the wicked. You have to trust him. And you have to look to him. And right now, you can look at, you know, your financial situation. I'm not saying you don't deal with it, but you have to look to him. Amen. Same book, Philippians 4.13 that says, 
uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says in 419 that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Keep looking to Jesus. You know, keep looking to him. None of you are going to go without food. Nobody in this fellowship, church will be taking care of you. As long as you're seeking the Lord, putting him first. Amen. None of you are going to go without covering. Somebody's going to give you clothes. Everybody's going to try to help out and get you, uh, help you out. You just have to go forward in Jesus. Amen. So the Lord will take care of us. He said, and Peter put his eyes on the, on the winds, man. He put his eyes on the waves, right? He said, oh, you have little faith. He wasn't trusting Jesus and his word. Jesus said to walk. In other words, he could walk. But he gave in to fear. Don't give in to fear. The Lord says in 2 Corinthians 1, 7, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Amen. Give in to Jesus. Surrender to him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And now it's interesting because when we look at these, these scriptures, it's interesting that he goes on to say, don't be anxious for anything. Anything. But everything with prayer, and we're going to get into those parts of the text and really dissect them to a degree. But with everything to pray, with pleading and thanksgiving, that means you don't get bummed out because you're giving thanks for the things he has blessed you in. Instead of fixating on the things that you're struggling with and the waves that are around you, you're fixating on Jesus. And there's a million reasons, million things you can thank him about. The most important things, your salvation, eternal life, that your name's written in heaven, that he loves you, that he's in your hand, that you're in his hand and, and no one can snatch you out of his hand. Amen. That you're in his presence and that you're in him and that when you're in him through faith, that neither height nor depth nor principality or power or things present or things to come or it goes on to say powers or thing, or height or depth or any other created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're, you're a secure place if you're trusting Jesus and you're in Christ. Amen. So just keep trusting Jesus. And you can rejoice and be thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be thankful for the Lord's love for you. And that transcends any of the trials you're going through. Because whatever trials you're going through, you know that he's in control. You thank him for his sovereignty. That he's almighty God, El Shaddai. Amen. That he's uh, Yeshua Sh uh, Shalom. That he's Yahweh Shalom. That he's our peace. Amen. He's the wisdom of God as well. He's the Sophia, the wisdom of God. He's, he's an awesome God. Now, I want you to understand the key to our joy is in the Lord. I want you to go to Philippians 3 now from Philippians 4 or to chapter 3. Finally, brothers and sisters, oh, what's that command in chapter 3? It sounds a lot like chapter 4, right? Finally, my brothers and sisters, what? Rejoice in the Lord, okay? It's a command. These are imperatives so often when we're told to rejoice. To write the same things again is no trouble for me. Yeah, because Paul's a preacher. We say this, a lot of the same things because we're teachers. And teachers reinforce truth. And it's a safeguard for you. Amen. Keeps you from falling. The joy of the Lord. Be thankful. It was a safeguard of the Apostle Paul. To keep him from becoming despondent, depressed, and turning his eyes on the waves and falling away from Jesus. He, he wants to... These are safeguards. These warnings and these encouragements are safeguards to us. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of, the, of false circumcision. And he's talking about the Judaizers who had come into the church and said, you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. We see that in the book of Galatians. We see the, it, the Hebrews is a lot about going back to the Mosaic law. We're under the law of Christ. Amen. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers, the circum false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. Okay. And who worship the spirit of, uh, in the spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Don't put your confidence in your flesh. Don't be, put your confidence in your human achievements. That's not where your confidence should be. 
Bible talks about people being ever learning in the last days. 2 Timothy 3, terrible times will come. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy, God wills that all will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And praise God, we rejoice and we put our pride in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, don't let the wicked, don't, don't let the rich man boast his riches or the wise man boast his wisdom or the strong man boast his strength, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows the Lord. Amen. That's where your boasting is. That you're boasting in Jesus, that you know the Lord. And Paul, we have the true circumcision, the, the circumcision of the heart. We become new creations in Christ. Paul says, although I could boast, as having confidence even in the flesh, even if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more reason. Paul says, if you want to boast the flesh, I have more reason than his audience. Circumcised the eighth day, he was a good Jew of, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, totally kosher, right? As the law of Pharisee. Pharisees were uh, leaders among the Jews. Paul was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. He was having Christians slaughtered, going to their homes, making them deny Christ. And if they didn't deny Christ, he was having them hauled off to be put to death. In Acts chapter 7, when they stoned Stephen to death, and Stephen, re, Stephen rebukes, and he preaches Jesus, and he's, he's con condemning them for rejecting Christ, telling them they need to be saved. You know, and how long will you continue to resist the Holy Spirit? You know, as he's preaching these things to them, they put their ears, or their hands over their ears because they don't want to hear it. They take off their, their outer tunics, their clothes, and put them at the feet of the one who's presiding over this and stone Stephen to death. And whose feet, do you remember, that did they put their clothes? Saul's feet. Who's Saul? The Apostle Paul before he became the Apostle Paul. He was, he was an aggressor. He was violent. He says all these things in the different letters when he talks about his testimony. A Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He's found blameless by his other Pharisees. He needed Jesus. <laughs> but according to what th their standards, he was considered blameless in their eyes, in his own eyes, till Jesus came to him. So he had that radical experience on the road to Damascus, remember? He's on the road to Damascus. The Lord appears to him in blinding light. He falls down. And the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you, Lord? He knew it was the Lord. He ends up uh, getting saved, you know. Three days he's blind to show he needed to depend not on his past academic prowess and, and credentials, but that he needed to be emptied of himself and confidence he had in the flesh. Baptized three days later. His scales fell off his eyes and he could see. To a degree, at least, he could see. Later, he had some eye problems, which is kind of interesting, which many think was maybe malaria, which is prominent in those areas. Now, it's really interesting because Paul has this amazing conversion, and he doesn't put confidence in his past. Don't put confidence in things you've done. Put confidence in the Lord. Things you've done, things you have will not save you. Amen? So, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, you know, uh, his life is just radically transformed. He becomes this, this new creation. And in verses 7 and 8, it's interesting, in verses 7 and 8, he talks about this Damascus experience and he, he says, you know, whatever I had, what, uh, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Right? And that's, that's so beautiful because Paul, 
gains Jesus through his, tri- through his conversion. You, if you've turned to Christ, you have Christ. He lives in you. He's your hope. He's at the right hand of the Father, but in spirit he lives in us. Amen. He's coming to, again for us. and He's preparing a place for us. If you have Jesus, you have reason to rejoice. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. I love it. He talk, that's where he talks about, you know, uh, that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Tell me you can't rejoice in that, that God became a man, became a servant, and died the death on the cross to save you. That to me is just so, so mind-blowing. So it's very interesting that in verses 7 and 8, he talks about, you know, this experience of, of, of having Christ. And, and in verse 8, he says this, which I think is fascinating. He says, Indeed, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, that's why he could rejoice, because Christ was first. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that, knew that all the treasures of wisdom were in Christ. He knew that salvation was in Jesus. He knew that his hope was in Jesus. He knew that his future was in Jesus. That's why we could rejoice. He knew that his sins were forgiven. His past wouldn't catch up to him. All the wicked things he did when he was having Christians killed, all his sins that he ever committed were, were buried, were, were blotted out, were cast as far as the east as to the west because of Christ's blood. That's why you can say, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The, the, NAS, the NIV has, this is the NASB I'm quoting, from, I'm reading from, the NIV has garbage. In order that I may gain Christ. The Greek word for rubbish is skubalon. Skubalon. Just think of scoob. If you're trying to remember that Greek word, think of scooby-doo. Think of Babylon. Scubalon. You don't have to do that. That's what I did. Scubalon. <laughs> he counted all as scubalon. Rubbish. The Greek word is refuse, garbage, excrement. It means manure, poop, it's kitchen scraps. It's used of all those things. And I've got into deeper word studies on this word, so I, but I don't want to get bogged down too much. But scubalon is a word that just, it's a word you look at as, and he counts all of that as ugh, gross. His past life compared to knowing Christ. Compared to knowing Jesus, but distracted him from Jesus or whatever, kept him from Jesus. A lot of that kept him from Jesus because he was involved in the uh, pre-Talmudic stuff that became Talmudic, the oral traditions. And uh, by that time in the first century, a lot of the Jews were just following the traditions of men. And a lot of them weren't steeped in what the law actually said. They still searched the scriptures. And Jesus said, you search them diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, but you're unwilling to come to me because these testify of me and you're unwilling to come to me because of their interpretations, their traditions. And Jesus talked about their traditions were the traditions of men. And they would encompass land and sea to make one convert. And they'd make him twice the child of hell. Paul got saved, amen? And he was a Pharisee, which means separate ones. But now he's separated to the gospel, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, amen? He's separate for Jesus now. He's living for him. He once, like many of the Jews, probably hated the Gentiles. But now he loves the Gentiles. He's an apostle under the Gentiles, amen? He wants to see them saved, you know, Romans 1.1 1, 1 again. Now, it's interesting uh, that he says this, guys, because... He wanted to know Jesus. And keep in mind, this is the same book. We're in Philippians. Where he says rejoice in the Lord again. And he's telling us how to rejoice. These are keys to how to rejoice. Christ should be, needs to be first in your life if you're going to rejoice in him. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to have the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Verse 9 through 14. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. 
But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul wanted the righteousness that only comes through faith in Christ because you can't get righteousness from the law. The law is God's righteous standard, but it shows that we're failures. The law is good, but it shows that we're miserable failures. We're sinners deserving death and hell. But it's through faith in Christ who paid for our sins to tell us that it is finished on the cross, who died and rose again, amen, that we have eternal life. And we become righteous and we're declared righteous. We're justified, declared righteous, made just before God because our sins are forgiven through faith in Christ. And Paul said he didn't want to be found in his own righteousness. Remember, we had a study a few months back about the, you're, you're having the right garments, the garments of salvation on, amen. And our garments are like filthy rags and we need to uh, turn to Christ and wear Christ. And Paul goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He wants to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Everybody loves to quote that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. A lot of times it stop there. And it says in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's through suffering that we come to know him better because he was a man of sorrows and we get to see the trials that he went through to a, a, a degree and it's through sufferings that we cry out to him and that we get to know him better. I'm convinced of that. You know? Uh, we know through his sufferings we become like him and become like him in his death. So, in his death, he totally surrendered the Father, right? And bore fruit. In our death, we die in Christ. The Bible says, Precious inside the Lord of the death of his saints. Paul says that I by, now this is interesting, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, in verse 11, that by any means possible, he says, he says, by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead from the dead. His goal is to keep his eyes on fixed on Jesus. Now, it's important to understand this, that by any means possible, he may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Do you want to attain to the resurrection of the dead? Do you want everlasting life in all eternity with him in a resurrected body? Of course. Why? There's only two options. There's heaven, there's hell. Now, it's interesting. He says that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. He's striving for the resurrection of the dead through faith in Christ. It's important. We'll get back to that verse in a little bit. Not that I have already obtained this or am ready, already perfect, but I press on to make it my, my own. I'm sorry, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Amen. So he presses on, strives forward so he can attain to the resurrection of the dead by any means possible. Well, what means by striving forward? By keeping the name of this message, keeping your eye on the prize. Jesus is our prize. The resurrection from the dead is our prize. And Paul goes forward, pressing on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have, uh, that I have made it my own, but one thing. Now, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing he does. This is one thing we ought to be doing. Forgetting what lies behind and straightening forward to what lies ahead. Don't let the enemy bog you down in your future or your past. How many of you get bogged down? We focus on the past. We focus on ways people hurt us or we focus on mistakes that we had made. And we either have unforgiveness in our heart toward others or we have a sense of condemnation because we blew it so bad. Your sins are forgiven, man. Cast in the depths of the sea, the Bible says. And God puts a no fishing sign up there. Don't fish, okay? Don't fish him out and stare him in the face for, for days and weeks and months and get down. If you're trusting Jesus, you have been forgiven of your sins. 
Amen. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, it talks about how we've been forgiven of our past sins. Amen. Why have present sin? Well, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, just forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it before the Lord. But forgetting what lies behind. A lot of us, everyone's gone through things, guys. But we need to forget it. Not focus on it. Sometimes what happens, people go to unbiblical counseling and they go through a wound and they just dig up that old wound. Just dig at it, dig at it until it's festering. It becomes infected all over again. Then they need the counselor. They keep paying the counselor. They keep digging at that wound. Or they're told they have something they did in their past life. Or they're told that they were abducted when they were three months old and they're, they're, the, the counselor told them all, all things that happened. Like, then they tell everybody else that creates this big problem. Happens over and over again. I had to counsel someone through that, you know, that was supposedly came, they were abducted and told they were abducted by their counselor and, a, and that they went through all these things by these Satanists and go, do you have any recollection of it? No. Do your parents? No, but they would open the window supposedly and my counselor said they took me out and, you know, they did all these horrible satanic sex rituals to me when I was a few months old. I said, you know what? I took the person here, you know, and said, you need to forget those things that are behind. It was ruining the person's marriage. The person became obsessed with things that never happened. I'm not saying things like that don't happen to some people, but when there's no evidence of it, other than the counselor telling you what probably happened, forgetting those things that lie behind. Don't let the enemy get you focused on your past. Job, that's one way he tried to mess up Job. Couldn't get him by killing his family, taking all his stuff making his friends miserable counselors, you know. Job in chapter 7 of Job says, why won't you forgive me my sins? He didn't realize or he forgot <laughs> or he came to a conclusion that God didn't forgive him because he's going through all kinds of horrendous stuff, but he was forgiven the whole time. Like the prodigal son that didn't believe he'd be forgiven. His father raced to him when he saw him coming, amen. If you're trusting Jesus, you are forgiven, amen. Rejoice in your forgiveness. And again, I say rejoice and rejoice always in the Lord in your forgiveness. Now, I love what he says. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize. What's Paul pressing on for? What's his goal? What's his prize? Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a prize. The resurrection is in the co this context. He strives for the resurrection of the dead in Christ. He strives for Jesus. He wants to be resurrected and be with Jesus forever. So he presses on. He goes forward. Now, this verse 11, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Uh, the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, anastasis. And anastasis is a beautiful word. Uh, and that's a typical word we see throughout the New Testament for resurrection in the Greek, anastasis. It's such a beautiful word. I like it better in the Greek than in the English. Say anastasis. Anastasis, or you can say Anastasis. Some pronounce the Greeks pronounce it Anastasis, but Anastasis. So uh, it's a beautiful word, but that's not the word he uses in the end when he says, "By any means I might obtain." Uh, in verse eleven, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's a different Greek word. It's only found once in the entire New Testament, and it's not Anastasis. It is Anastasis, but there's a prefix before it in the Greek. The prefix before it is X, E-X. Totally changes the word. And that Paul, right after he uses anastasis earlier in the Greek, to put X anastasis, which is a one word, compound word, X anastasis, uh, shows me that he's, and that's only used by Paul and any other any else New Testament one time, that there's a reason he used it. X anastasis. The prefix X, or is X, it's like X. X means out, out. 
So Paul's not just saying that he wants to obtain, he strives to obtain, if any, by any means possible, the resurrection of the dead. He says the out-resurrection from among the dead. In fact, uh, in fact, right here in the next page, I'm sure I wrote it down. Yeah, it's the... Uh, this is from the Berean, the literal Bible. Most translations just have resurrection. I looked at several translations, like 20 translations of this, and none of them had out-resurrection. But guess what? But the Berean literal Bible, because it's a literal, it's very literal. NASB is very literal. That's why I like it. A little harder to read, but it's literal. When you study, I like to think it's good to use a literal translation. But the Berean literal Bible translates it this way. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from out of dead. That's really kind of hard to read, right? If you're trying to just flow through chapters and you read a sentence like that, it'd be difficult. But I like that because it's actually translating ex anastasis. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from out of dead. And it really, he is looking at a resurrection that's out from among the dead. What's he talking about? You know, we're going to get into that a little bit because we want to obtain that same resurrection because that's our goal. Amen. Paul is not talking about merely being resurrected, period. Everybody gets resurrected. You know that? The Bible teaches everybody's get resurrected, right? He's talking about a special resurrection that's out from among the rest of the dead, those who are dead spiritually, that don't know Jesus. Now, the Greek, uh, by any means, is from apos, two words. And it's interesting, it's, it, it, when he says, if by any means I may obtain to the ex anastasis, the out-resurrection, it's apos, and that, those Greek words, by any means, are conditional. They're a contingent clause. If by any means, possible. If by any means, apos, it's subjunctive mood. In the Greek, the subjective mood, uh, it's conditional. So it has the idea of some doubt. It's not absolutely, it's not absolutely a given. That's why Paul says he hasn't obtained it, and he's striving for it. But it's a conditional uh, clause. It's a, it's, it's contingent upon going forward and keeping your eyes on the prize and not going back. Jesus said not to be like Lot's wife. He goes, remember Lot's wife. He said, somebody who puts their hands to the plow, right, and then looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Amen. He said, he that endures the end will be saved. Paul talked a lot about perseverance as well in the faith. It's talking about continuing to keep your eyes on the prize. Continuing to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now it's interesting, Paul uses these same words by any means or if somehow is translated in Acts chapter 27, 12. And they're on a voyage. They're going to a place called Phoenix uh, on a ship. And Paul says, if somehow they could reach, I'm sorry, Luke writes, if somehow they could reach, it's talking about Paul's missionary journey though. If somehow, Apos, they could reach, attain. Okay, it's now, apos is subjunctive, if by any means. Okay? Now, in Acts 27, 12, you have, if somehow they could reach or attain. This is another Greek word, I'm sorry. It's katanteso. Now, katanteso is the word that Paul uses earlier. If by any means, I could what? Attain to the exonotosis. Exonotosis. What is he saying? If I could attain, if by any means, subjunctive, conditional, I may attain. The word attain means to arrive at, to, to reach a goal, uh, to, to, to come to your destination. And Paul's concerned that he wants to attain to the resurrection of the dead, so he presses forward in the faith. Now this Greek word, 
uses the same idea that's in the apos, not those words, but uses the same word that Paul uses for attain in verse 11 of Philippians chapter 3, that he might attain to the resurrection of the dead. If somehow, or, or I should say Luke uses that word, if somehow they could reach, that's katanteso, Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. Well, according to Acts 27, 40, 14 through 44, they never reached it. Okay, so just because you are trying to attain something doesn't mean you're going to attain it. They never got to Phoenix. Okay, uh, they end up in Life Haven, another place, and they calculated because the wind and the storms, it was the wintry season that they couldn't make it. And Paul's not saying, I'm not going to make it. He believes, I believe he has confidence in this passage because he has no desire to go back. That he's going to keep going forward in Jesus is his heart. Amen. But he wants to let them know they need to have the same heart. They need to rejoice the Lord. They keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. They need to count all things lost as dung, as poop, as garbage compared to Jesus. Amen. And they keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and rejoice in him and not put their eyes on the waves. Not put their eyes on the things of this world. Not put their eyes on the things, the academic achievements and accolades they get for the world. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and look for his ending accolades when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what we want to hear. Amen. Because that's eternal. So this is all very, very important. So, yeah. Katanteso means to reach or arrive at your goal. We want to reach our goal. Amen. We want to reach our goal in Jesus. Now, it's interesting because Paul uses this, uh, which I think is really, really interesting, that uh, Paul, I believe, has a degree of confidence, you know, and I don't doubt that he does because his confidence is in Christ and he's confident that as long as he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus, he's going to obtain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, I'm confident that the Lord uh, is able to keep that which I've committed to him. Amen. And you have this kind of tension on the Lord's keeping power and the fact that we have to keep the faith in the scripture. For instance, in Jude, it talks, he was, there's a play on this word kept, you know. And it, in verses 6, 7, it talks about the angels that did not keep their first estate, but they rebelled. And those in, goes on top of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's in the context of these grace changers entering into the church, turning God's grace into a license for morality. And how, hey, he goes, he says, hey, he, after the, they saved people out of Egypt, many were destroyed. Gives them an example. Gives the angels that didn't keep their first estate as an example, but fell. They were called sons of God. He gives an example of, the, of those in Sodom and Gomorrah and how God knows how to punish the wicked. And they're given as an example of eternal destruction upon those who get involved in sexual sin. You've got to repent. And then he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord. Uh, he's talking about his coming unto eternal life, future salvation, eternal life in the future. We have eternal life. If you're trusting Jesus right now, and you're trusting him, you have assured salvation. Your sins are forgiven. The Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen? But Paul talked about the salvation to be revealed uh, in the end. So it's important that we understand this, that we are we're to keep ourselves in love of God. Okay? But then in verse 24, it talks about how he's able to keep that, keep us, amen, and present us blameless before the Father. Amen? So he keeps us, amen? He's ultimately the one keeping us. We keep... Well, they, my favorite verse that kind of brings these two together, these two concepts together, the tension together, is 2 Peter 1.5. It says we are kept by the power of God through faith. Catch that? Ready to be revealed at the end time, at the last time. We're kept by the power of God through faith. God's part, he keeps. We're saved by grace through what? 
Faith, there's a condition of salvation. The, the ground of salvation is a finished work of Christ, but for anybody to be saved, we tell them you got to put your trust in Jesus. Well, we're kept by the power of God through faith as well, 2 Peter 1.5. It resolves the tension. It shows the tension is actually harmony. So there's no contradiction there. It's perfect harmony. So Paul is emphasizing keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping your eyes on Jesus. And it's not just the future salvation we look forward to. It's the joy of our salvation now, amen? That's why if you're in sin and you're involved in any kind of, let's say you're involved in some kind of sexual perversion, some kind of, or you got anger issues and you're bitter at some people or, or a particular person, and, wow, the breeze has stopped for a minute, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. If uh, you're, you're struggling with, you know, anger, struggling with lust, struggling with pride, so with selfishness, selfish ambition, living for pleasure rather than Jesus, you got to repent, man. David fell in this serious sin, right? But the Lord dug him out of that pit. He was forgiven. He said, uh, he said restore unto me the joy of my what? Salvation. You know, if you're down in the dumps, man, and you're involved in sin, you got to repent. Amen. If you're happy in your sin, in sin, oh, I'm, hey, I'm having a good time. There's pleasure sin for a season. Then it's going to become real ugly, man. But if you're in that season where, oh, I'm, I'm doing fine, you better repent, man. Because not only is the depression coming, hell is coming. You got to get right with Jesus, amen, and be serious. Now, it's interesting. When he says he wants to attain to the resurrection of the dead, or ex anastasis, interesting. That's that one unique word, ex anastasis, out from among the dead. What's he talking about? I said he's not talking about being resurrected. You know everybody is going to be resurrected. Some to eternal life, some to damnation. Many to damnation. I believe what Paul's saying there is he wants to be resurrected out from among the dead, those who are dead in their sins. Those who will be resurrected to damnation. He wants to be involved in the out-resurrection. That special resurrection. Because the Bible is really, really clear. There's a special resurrection. Did you know non-believers are not going up in the rapture? Only believers are going up the rapture. And when the rapture comes, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Amen. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught to meet them together in the air. That's the ex-anastasis. The dead in Christ being raised first. Amen. Or having a... And even those who are alive, if he comes when we're alive, we experience the resurrection too, amen? Our bodies are radically transformed. So we're looking forward to the out-resurrection. The ex-anastasis. The catching up, the harpazo in the Greek. Now it's interesting. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Daniel 12 or your cell phone. It talks about these two resurrections in the Old Testament. In the prophetic book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now at that time, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. That's, that's Michael who stands guard over Israel. It says, he'll arise. And there will be a time, of, uh, a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Some about Israel, he's talking about the coming tribulation period. Jesus told his elect apostles, the leaders of the early church, that if, the, if he didn't return, when he does return, that no flesh would be saved. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to eternal life, but the others to what? Disgrace and everlasting contempt. You do not want to be resurrected. He said there will be two resurrections there from the, those that are in the dust. One to eternal life and one to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Do you want everlasting contempt and disgrace? Or do you want ex-anastasis out from among the dead? 
and have the resurrection of life. Exonostasis, amen. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 29 and following, or I'll start at verse 28. Do not be amazed at, at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out, and those who did good deeds to the resurrection of life, and those who committed the deeds, uh, bad deeds to the resurrection of condemnation or judgment. So Jesus says, don't be surprised. He says his, his voice is going to go forth. And he says, those who have done good deeds will raise to the, be resurrected to the resurrection of life, but they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. I remember when I was a new Christian, I memorized this passage in the King James Version, and I'd see people, and I just would, it would hit, trip me out because I was like, wow, everybody I see is a resurrection to eternal life or a resurrection to damnation. And I had to keep that in mind because all I was seeing at that time, I didn't know any believers but me. <laughs> so the people that I know that I'm seeing are being raised to eternal contempt, disgrace, damnation. And it broke my heart and it spurred me to witness to the lost. So you keep this truth before you as you go through your days, as your months, and you recognize that we have a mission field and the harvest is white under snow, amen? And he's called us to go and preach the gospel to all nations. The Bible talks about wise as those who are those who win souls, amen? We're called to be soul winners this year. We're called not just to rejoice the Lord and rejoice in our own salvation, but we want to see the lost saved as well, amen? But in the meantime, don't lose, the, don't lose focus. That is Paul, right? By any means possible, we want to, what? Attain to the resurrection of the dead. And keep our, and the only happens by keeping your eyes fixed on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus, on winning Christ. He's our prize, amen? Ultimately. So I love that. Now, you go to Revelation 20 right now, and we read about the same thing. Now, this is crazy, because in Revelation 19 and 20, and if you go there, you could just, you could just take a pit stop at chapter 19, verse 5 before we go to 20. Because here we have the church getting ready for Jesus coming back for his bride. We're ready for the rapture of the church, amen? We're looking forward to Jesus coming back. And then in chapter 19, look at verse 5. Let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. After 18 chapters, talk about tribulation. And then in chapter 18, right before chapter 19, he says, Come out of her, my people. Speaking of Babylon, verses 4 and 5, right around there. Come out of her, my people, so you don't partake of her sins and of her plagues, which is an end-time wrath, the, the seventh bowl, which correlates with the seventh trumpet, which correlates with the sixth seal. All Diagram the sixth seal, seventh trumpet, same bowl. Write them all down next to each other. You'll see they all describe the same ending because it's a recapitulation, him showing, just like Genesis shows creation chapter one, then it shows creation chapter two. It's not two acts of creation. It's one act. It's not two like liberals say, oh, he started over again. No, he didn't. He's not an idiot. Okay, one and two go together. He's giving more details. Sixth seal, seventh trumpet, seventh bowl, all describe the ending. And here before the seventh bowl, they're told to get out of Babylon. Right before the end, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and her plagues. And guess what? The church has endured a lot of persecution. There's the saints in heaven, but there's the saints on earth, and some will, Paul said, those who are alive and remain, or survive, the Greek word can be translated, we caught to meet them in the air. There's be those there that survive. And the bride has made herself ready. She's ready for Jesus to come. In fact, look at verse... Uh, Let's rejoice, be glad, give glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has, been pre has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding didn't happen seven years earlier. I love my preacher brothers and sisters. Okay, a lot of those folks just love Jesus. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and uh, if you're pre-trib, you're here, I love you, but you don't see the wedding supper. Some say it's oh, seven years, we don't go through the tribulation, we get out, and we watch everybody else suffer, the Jews and those who become Christians, and we just have a big party, rejoice in heaven. No, you don't rejoice in heaven during the seven years. Fifth seal, toward the end of tribulation still, during the seven years, they're crying out, saying, how long, O oh God, do you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You know, they're not partying, they're, they're crying out to God. You know, and then we see the marriage supper happen in Revelation 19. They're ready for the marriage supper right before Jesus comes back in Revelation 19 with the armies of heaven on his white horse. Very clear. I don't want to get caught, all caught up in that, but two minutes will do. Uh, in fact, go ahead and look at verse 11. A few verses later. <laughs> I love this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse and he who sat on the horse is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war this isn't a pre-trib coming guys his eyes are a flame of fire and on his hand are on his head are many crowns and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations that uh, he will rule and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of god the almighty this is the wave you better be concerned about amen and if you're trusting jesus it won't be a wave of wrath for you amen because we'll be caught up to meet him in the air in the heavens amen and we'll come down with the angels and with the dead in Christ who've been with him for thousands, thousands of years. Kind of the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints that are waiting, right? And those who are alive will be caught up to meet him. And it says in verse 16, he tread, or verse 15 at the end, the wine treads the fierce wrath of God Almighty, verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh, he had a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw the angel stand, an angel standing in the sun and he cries out. And then he comes and destroys the beast and the false prophet who thrown in the lake of fire. They're thrown there early. The others aren't thrown there until over a thousand years later. But then you go to chapter 20. Go to chapter 20 right after that. And he talks about what happened to the believers who were invited to the wedding, wedding feast. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls, not the bodies, because they're not. That's talking about what happened to them when they were resurrected. The souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and those who had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands and they came to what? Their souls came to life and we know it's talking about resurrection because he goes on to talk about it being the resurrection. They, they, they came to life and reigned with Christ for what? A thousand years. So when he comes back in Revelation 19 the dead in Christ will rise first. Their souls will be clothed with resurrected bodies. And they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And those who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. Okay? And now it's interesting here. When he says what he saw, that I saw thrones. Those are those judging. And they that sat on them. A judgment was given to them. Right? And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, persecuted. Right? For the testimony of Jesus because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast in his image. So the first one, it says all of us who suffer... And we're all going to suffer. Anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're really a Christian, you're going to suffer some for persecution. In fact, right when you become a believer, guess what happens? Even not, even you don't even, it's not even the physical first persecution that happens right away. Sometimes it does. But the day you become a, a Christian, guess who comes after you to steal that seed? The devil. Amen? Before you're a believer, he blinds the minds of those that believe not less the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, whose image of God shall shine on them. But after you become a Jesus, you're not blind anymore. Now he just takes out the seed. 
He brings the cares and affairs of this world in. He tries to persecute you. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're truly living for Jesus, you're probably going to experience physical per- or some persecution from other people as well. Right? So it's interesting. On the thrones, it says if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. That's for all Christians. So we're all on the thrones. Then he delineates a couple special groups, like those who are there because they were persecuted and lost their lives because of the word of God. And then those who didn't take the mark of the beast. They, 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 they're, there. they're highlighted because they were they're champions of the faith. Amen. They surrendered their lives for Jesus. But it's interesting. He says in verse 5 or verse 4 that they'll reign with him for a thousand years. That's all believers will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life w- until when? Until the thousand years were what? Completed. Now come to life in this context is the souls being resurrected. They didn't come to life until a thousand years was so the general resurrection of the wicked is a thousand years plus later because there's a thousand years Satan's let loose for a short time so it's just over a thousand years and then the great white throne judgment where all the wicked are resurrected at the great white throne judgment and the books are open for what they've done and the book of life if their names aren't found written in the book of life they're thrown in the lake of fire in their resurrected bodies that's pretty crazy pretty gnarly in fact he says Verse 6, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Now, verse 5 is a parenthetical statement. He talks about how the believers will come to life and reign with, for, with Christ for a thousand years. So when he says this first resurrection, he's talking about that. Then he talks about the dead, and then he goes back to the first resurrection. We, have, we are alive. The ex-anastasis, brothers and sisters, that you want to have is the first resurrection. Amen? It's the first resurrection from the dead. How many want to be in the first resurrection? Because he goes on to say, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So the ones who are reigning are in the first resurrection, and after that, the wicked dead are damned, which is heartbreaking. Amen? When Paul talks about the resurrection from the dead, it's interesting that he talks about we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Amen? It's going to be glorious. And he says that this mortality will put out immortality. This corruptible will put out incorruption, right? And this perishable will put on that which is imperishable. Then in verse 58 he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's amazing how many times you see God's, the Lord's coming and then you see these exhortations to press on in the faith by Paul, by Jesus. Jesus talked about ten virgins, but how many got in? They all had the lamps lit in the beginning, but how many get in the end? All of them? Just five, half of them. Talks about two different servants. Well, actually, it's one servant who's giving out meat in due season. And Jesus says in the Greek, if that servant, that same servant, begins to beat the maidservant and give drunk with the drunkards, he'll be cut in pieces. He talks about different servants, so the one that buried his talents. Amen wasn't ready for his master's return I mean there's all kinds of parables talked about the thief in the night and the wise servant who was ready he wants us to be ready amen it's very very important if I go to first Thessalonians chapter 5 or chapter 4 but we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant brothers and sisters about those who are asleep that means those who have passed on the believers who've died in the faith so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 
For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the anastasis. That's the ex-anastasis. Non-believers are not going up in the rapture. Amen? We need to put our trust in Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on him and keep our lamps lit. And our, our oil in our lamp. The oil is the Holy Spirit. The lamps being lit. The, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light in my path. Staying in the word. Amen? Seeking Jesus. The very next chapter, chapter 5, there's no chapter breaks. So this just continues on. After the, he mentions to be comforted with the rapture, he says in verse 1, Now as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you have no need anything be written to you. For yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So they're going to be saying peace and safety, unity, you know, let's all come together. That's what's being said right now. Not saying it's happening right now, but it's going to get like that. And, and guess what? Conservative voices are being shut out by Twitter. By, you know, more and more. It's, it's not a fair, it's not, it's, but that's what we should expect. We should not freak out and look at the waves. We need to look at the waves and see what's going on, but we don't fixate on the waves. We fixate on Jesus, amen? And he talked about the waves. He wants to be aware of what's going on. But you keep, those who put your focus on Jesus. Jesus said, we think these, these, these things begin to put, come to pass. He, what do you say? Lift your heads. Your redemption is drawing near, amen? But if you're looking at the waves, he also says, for those in the world, their hearts will fill them for fear of things coming on the earth. Don't have fear, Peter, Jesus said to Peter. Don't be afraid. You have little faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus and his word. And what he said, we'll get to the other side of the sea. Amen? Don't look at, fixate on the waves. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 4, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that that day would overtake you like a thief. He's not coming like a thief to believers, he says. He says, you're not in darkness that day would overtake you. You see those movies, Thief in the Night, he comes like a thief and the believers are all shocked too. No, we're not shocked because he gives us the signs that lead up to his coming. And we're not shocked says, you're not in darkness that day should overtake you like a thief. Comes on a th like a thief to the non-believer. And thief means with destruction. Jesus says in Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation, and when he's talking about that, he says that he wouldn't have allowed his house to be destroyed. We're not talking about a secret rapture. We're talking about Jesus coming to destruction and being ready and seeing the signs that lead up to his coming. And saying, whoa, this means Jesus coming. It's not, whoa, I'm freaking out. The world's getting so bad. No, you're like, whoa, the world is getting really bad. That means Jesus coming. That means, that means to live as Christ, to die as gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. And I'm going to be with him forever. Amen. Now, he says they'll be saying peace and safety. Then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let's not, let us not sleep Let's not sleep. He's talking about now spiritually being asleep, as others do. But let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not destined for wrath, amen? The bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments, the, all these judgments aren't going to fall on us. They're going to fall on the wicked. You know, my wife was lamenting last night, just 
not crying, but she was just disturbed because she was reading things on, and we prayed about the sex trafficking thing together and how horrible that is. And, and she was like, it's so hard that this goes on. And, you know, and, and it wasn't like, where's the Lord? She knows the Lord's there. And we talked about that. And she was like, and I said, yeah, that, I go, you know what? There's this tension in scripture, another tension in scripture where it's like, you know, some people read the scripture and say, wow, God's really severe with the wicked. He judges them. And others would be like, you know, wow, you know, why is God not judging the wicked? He's letting them do horrible things to people, you know. And there's this tension where you see the, the, in the prophets where they're like, you know, how long, O oh God, until you judge our, you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And when you start to look at the wickedness that goes on, you realize that breaks God's heart every day. He sees it all, all the time. And he sees how, Jesus says, when he talked about the darkness and how the eyes fill with darkness, he said, how great is that darkness? He sees just how great it is. And he's giving judgment upon it. A little bit later that day, Lisa was reading the Psalms and she was reading a couple of Psalms and she goes, wow, I'm reading these Psalms. They're like in practice Psalms. I'm like, she's reading, goes, and they're so heavy on God's judgment. She's, and she was like, oh, praise God, he's going to judge the world, <laughs> you know? Just after she'd said the other thing, I was like, amen, praise God. That's why we read the whole of scripture, amen? And praise God, you guys. You want to have the joy of the Lord? You keep your eyes on the big picture. You don't get fixated on the, on the waves that seem so big. But there's other bigger waves coming, guys, right? But there's an ultimate wave coming of God's judgment. Amen? Amos 5, 24. Right? Let the judgment or justice of the Lord roll down like a river. Let the righteousness flow like an ever-flowing stream. Amen? He's bringing judgment. The main thing is that we make sure that we're saved, that we're forgiven, that our trust is in Jesus. Otherwise, that judgment is coming upon us. Amen? But we're not destined to wrath. We're destined for salvation if we're trusting Jesus. Amen. Make sure you're trusting Jesus. Jesus died for all your sins on the cross. Every sin you've committed was paid for on the cross. Amen. He was buried. He rose again and conquered the grave. And the Bible says if you put your trust in him, you'll pass from death to life. And you will not come into condemnation if you're believing in Jesus. Amen. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. If you haven't come to Jesus, right now is the time. Amen. And if you're not rejoicing in Jesus and you're, you come today and you're like, man, it's getting crazy. Things are, you know, focus on Jesus. Stay in the word. Abide in the word. Memorize the word. Read the word. Keep God's word in your heart. Amen. Lock into the word. Lock into Jesus and continue to pray as much as you can without ceasing. Crying out to him. Spending time. Having times of intimacy with him. I'm looking forward to next week because next week is going to be more about intimacy. It's going to be more devotional. Although these all are somewhat devotional, especially last week. But I want to encourage you. Keep your children in Jesus. Amen. Keep them focused. Teach them in the word. I mean, I'm looking at Renal right now. He's shaking his head up and down. And man, hey, you're his kids. Do your mom and dad try to keep you in the word? I'm putting you on the spot, Renal. I already know the answer, man. I know the answer, man. These kids are learning the word of God. He wants them to know Jesus. Amen. Do you guys wish he would just not talk about the Bible anymore? Are you glad he loves Jesus? He talks about the word. Praise the Lord. I get a thumbs up. Amen. And a foot up. Whatever that meant. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So let's pass out the communion. And let's all uh, please stand. The Bible says stand in awe of him. Let's stand in awe of what he's done for us. And give him glory and do communion together. Thanks, brother. I don't know if that... I love you guys in the live stream audience. I don't know if you guys can still see my head since I stood up. So maybe you can give a look through that, Sister Susie. Or, or maybe uh, Stevie can. And I'll make sure they can still see me. If you can't see me, it's fine. Because we're talking all about looking at Jesus. Amen. And I'm just a man. 
What an awesome God we have, amen. You know, when Jesus, uh, I mentioned uh, recently that when Paul talked about communion, he called the cup the cup of thanksgiving, right? Because we give thanks. And you start to rejoice when you give thanks. So when it says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, Paul goes on to say pray, but he says with thanksgiving. Paul's in prison between two guards, but he's still being thankful. I don't care what you're going through. There's a lot you can be thankful for if you're looking at Jesus, amen? And that'll change your heart, your attitude to where you can begin to rejoice because we all have things we can rejoice in and we're supposed to do it always, amen? That's how you can rejoice always, by always being thankful for the good things he's done for you. Father God, we thank you that your son died for the, our sins upon the cross. Father, we pray that you'd forgive us of any of our sins. Pray if there's anybody here that's not saved that they will have put their trust in Jesus and if they haven't, that they do that now and understand that he died for them. He rose again. And that they repent, they turn from rebellion against him and put their faith in Christ and experience his forgiveness and have their names written in heaven. We thank you for eternal life. It's in Christ. Pray that you forgive us all of anything we've done that would hurt your heart. We partake of the bread in remembrance of Jesus now. Your son's name, amen. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood on the cross and dying a horrible death so we could have eternal life and be with you forever. We rejoice in you and the salvation that we have in you. We look forward and we go forward and press out in the faith, looking forward to attaining to the resurrection of the dead, the, the ex-anastasis, Lord, to be with you forever. And we partake of the cup with thanksgiving, which represents your son's precious blood, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, we have an awesome God. Can you please uh, put your cup down, anything you might be holding down? Because, hey, that brother's got it right. We need to give a thank offering, a praise offering, a clap offering to the Lord. And let's clap and shout, shout his joy. Thank you to him. We love you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name. We thank you for our salvation. We pray that we'd be even more thankful. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, Lord. And may we keep our eyes fixed. In Jesus' name, amen. Give somebody a big COVID elbow or a high from a distance or...